0: Greetings and welcome to the Boxing Esquire podcast. I had the great pleasure to speak to my good friend and wonderful boxing writer, Bryn Jonathan Butler, to go over uh, 2017 and wrap it up. Um, Please uh, give it a listen and enjoy. I'd like to welcome Bryn Jonathan Butler to the Boxing Esquire podcast to discuss the uh, 2017 year in review and uh, a little bit of a preview of what issues we think are, are relevant in 2018. Welcome, Bryn. Thanks for having me. All right. Um, 2017, great year in boxing, I'd say. Um, I mean, the, the the thing, you know, a number of things struck me, but um, I think the... The most positive sign to me was uh, the heavyweights being back. And uh, certainly Anthony Joshua has uh, captured the imagination of uh, his British fans. Um, The Klitschko fight was a classic. Uh, It was great to see uh, uh, Wembley Stadium filled. And uh, I think that's a huge, uh, huge development for boxing. What was was your take on that?
1: I think it was definitely an all-time classic. Heavyweight final. Um, you had the back and forth with Klitschko going down, uh, putting up a much better performance than he did against Fury. Um, it seemed seemed like he was in fine form, and Joshua was really forced to be pushed. He was dropped. Uh, I th- I think I I thought it was over at that point. He was able to come back in a way that was just um, from from the beginning of the fight to the end. There was a tension. That was there, and the back and forth was thrilling, and you saw something really iconic with the way there was a changing changing of the guard. So, and I like that he's vulnerable. He doesn't. It's not. It's not Tyson. It, it, it doesn't have that feeling of this of invincibility by any stretch. So it just means that I think the heavyweight division is really open, but it has somebody who's incredibly charismatic, incredibly marketable. Uh,
0: yeah, I was thrilled by it. Yeah, I mean, with with Joshua too. I mean, it's just great to have a heavyweight who wants to be great, who's willing to fight uh, everyone who looks to put everybody out of there when he gets in there. Um, and he's he's not a guy who's you know, so many today's fighters are just long on posturing, long on their brand, you know, long on just you know, bullshitting, you know. And sure. and and Joshua just seems to be a guy who. You know he trains hard he's a relatively humble guy i mean as humble as he can be with all the adulation he's getting um but just a guy who who comes to fight very exciting knows that that people like to see knockouts tries to get those knockouts and he's very very capable but as you said as well i mean he's he's in action fights he's vulnerable he takes shots um you know the the, for Klitschko, too, it, it, it was a great goodbye for him and, and I think, uh, a fight that he needed as well. Um, for as long as he ruled the uh, the heavyweight landscape, he just put people to see, you know, people lost interest in the heavyweights and, you know, so go the heavyweights, so go the sport of boxing mm-hmm. um, and, you know, great guy, but... Not sad to see him go.
1: <laughs> no. I agree. No, he never never captured the imagination, <clears throat> despite being somebody, I mean, we're saying Joshua looked a little vulnerable in the fight. I mean, so did Klitschko. Klitschko was somebody who was very capable of underperforming in some title defenses that he had, getting blown out of the water, and I think three or four times right. in his career where Um, you certainly didn't have a sense that he'd ever come back to be as dominant as he was for for sort of the last few chapters of his career. So an interesting guy, fascinating, he has this brother who's not quite his athletic peer, but much more exciting in terms of the way in which he fought. You could argue, you know, I don't think he ever had a fight where he was losing. Um, Was winning the fight with Lennox Lewis. The other fight that he lost was was the shoulder to... um, Chris Bird to Chris Bird, um, but he was basically dominating the fight. Yeah, absolutely. O- otherwise, um, Vitaly was a very interesting fighter, but
0: again, did he really capture the imagination of the public? Not really. Yeah, I mean his 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 knockouts. I mean, he got a lot of stoppages, but it was more by attrition than than yeah. like you know just explosive uh, highlight reel knockouts. And I, I mean, listen, you know, I wouldn't have voted for Vitaly uh, as a Hall of Famer, but. Um, I thought actually Eric Raskin at HBO made a great case for him in in saying that, you know, the guy only lost two times and both times he was ahead on the cards, like way ahead on the cards. So, you know, theoretically, you know, there was no heavyweight out there who got the best of him. You know, I mean, he got, you know, one was stopped on a cut and the other one, you know, he had a torn rotator cuff. I mean, he never fought Bird again, which would have been a really interesting fight. But uh but, yeah, the Klitschko era um, kind of saw uh, at least American fans, I mean, and, and be clear about that. I mean, these guys sold out stadiums in Germany. Sure. You know, it wasn't that there was no interest in the Klitschko's, but there there just was waning interest here in the States to the point where, you know, networks weren't picking up heavyweight championship <laughs> fights. You know, even HBO Uh So, uh, you know, kudos to to Anthony Joshua for coming in and and bringing excitement back to the heavyweights. Um, And obviously, uh, you know, his his foil is is Deontay Wilder, who just can't seem to catch a break. Mm. Um, You know, uh, not his fault that that I mean, he was willing to go to Russia and fulfill his uh, mandatory against uh, Povetkin. Um, in a fight that would have been extremely interesting, fighting, you know, going overseas and, and taking on uh, a very competent heavyweight, former gold medal winner, um, but wasn't to be. And uh, and then this year, a huge disappointment. Ortiz. That, uh, the Ortiz fight, yeah. I mean, uh, um, first of all, you know, how, how do you see that fight going now that it seems to be uh, remade uh, for, for March, you know? <laughs> It's like oh you tested positive for this you know oh my god you know we can't have you fight uh one organization suspends you uh oh, but the other one puts you right back right. in uh which is yeah i've got i don't know, speak to that a little bit not a good look for
1: the sport to to have no moral hazard in place for testing positive <laughs> in a combat sport where people's lives and and health is on the line i, I don't like that because um, i think you're going to see if if vada testing isn't in place all the time why wouldn't you cheat you know if you're going to gain the advantages uh, you're
0: asking for trouble
1: you're asking for trouble and you know I think what you saw with who Barry Bonds was pre-PEDs versus who he was after form your own calculus of how it would affect you as a fighter you know it's it's the difference between being a champion and being you know on the outskirts of the top 10 I think you know, it's a it's a huge deal, and and it's dangerous if we're if we're going to really lay into the likes of Margarito for putting plaster of Paris in his gloves. It's not that different, in my view. The kind of advantages you're going to get with stamina, power, uh, your ability to train a lot harder. So I don't like it at all. That being said, I am a fan of Ortiz. I think he's a very dangerous heavyweight. Right. He's massive. He can punch. Um, he's highly skilled, as many of these Cubans are. Um, I would have loved to have seen it without this asterisk attached to it, and I think Wilder is an exciting fighter. We saw him against Stiverne, uh, Stavern, who, I don't know that I've ever seen a worse condition fighter you know, stepping <laughs> in. Uh, he was
0: like Oliver McCall without the crying, you know? it's yeah. like, he came in, he just looked depressed, he looked like oh. he wanted to be there, and cool. Just kind of, you know, like going to the electric chair. You know, just, no. just really <laughs> no hope at all.
1: No, I, it was, you know, Buster Douglas against Holyfield. I mean, it looked, <laughs> it looked far worse than that. But similar feeling of just what what could this... This is a professional athlete. Right. What, what kind of preparation is required for you to have less body fat than would constitute being categorized as morbidly obese? I mean, yeah. he, he was grossly overweight... Um, but that being said, Wilder is doing what he has to do to try to excite fans and and put his career on track for some major major fights. I don't see him matching up particularly well against the likes of Joshua or had he fought a Klitschko. Um, I don't. He, to me, he seems like a very good athlete who happens to box right. at this point, like right? A, a, like a very good basketball player swinging away in a very sort of video game like style. It doesn't mean that he can't hurt you. I mean I think there's real power at his size, but it still looks a little goofy All to right. me watching him.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And I, I think um I think fans have become frustrated with his choice of opponents. I I think it's it's just time. You know, and, and again with Povetkin and Ortiz, not his fault. But um he's just been fed some really mediocre opposition yes. and and it's been to his detriment and, and the reason being you know even though he won the bronze medal in the olympics early on in his career he faced an old blown up light heavyweight by the name of david vetter who was not even a puncher at light heavyweight who shook him to his core and dropped him right and after that they're just like okay this guy needs a lot more work, yeah. And we need to mask that chin. So there's always that question after that Vetter fight, just like okay, you know, they've been hiding him, they've been protecting him. Um, you know, it's it's it, those chin issues never seem to go away. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you. Um, it's an interesting dynamic with Joshua because Joshua is vulnerable. He does get hit. He does gas. Um and and if there's one thing Deontay Wilder can do it's it fire that right hand Um, so he literally comes in with that puncher's chance and honestly in the first Divern fight he showed he could box a little bit yep. he's got size you know and movement and we really haven't seen uh, Josh Winner with a I mean Klitschko did the best he could but he had to me the worst feet ever in, in, like, in like fight I mean I, no rhythm at all you know on a dance floor he just looks ugly yeah Uh, so, and he was out boxing Joshua. So there's there's interesting variables in the fight. I mean, you know, the, it could be a blowout and it could be like a really intriguing fight.
1: And I think he's going to do his best to, you know, he's not going, he's 100% going to give his all to try and make an exciting fight. He wants to make a name for himself. And I think he's consistently shown that he's fighting to win. He's never fighting to survive. Right. And he's gaining more and more confidence that I think will either get him that knockout victory or get him knocked out. Right. Reminds me a bit of, of sort of the the Tommy Morrison effect. Mm. You know, just in that there's a left hook where if I connect with it, you fall. Right. And and I, Wilder seems to have that with the right hand. He can just launch it from such a distance, and and the power is just undeniable. So right. that kind of confidence. You know, I remember Morrison toward the end of his career where he's getting blown out by some much better competition. Right. As the referee would say, this really should be stopped, he would say things like, I still have my left hook. <laughs> there was still that desire to somehow pull off what he was able to do against Razor Ruddock, you know, where it was very close that he was going to get knocked out in that fight. I, I do like that in a fighter Um but I absolutely agree with you. The chin seems highly questionable, far more so than Joshua. Even right, Joshua took a lot of
0: shots with Klitschko. Um, well, yeah, Joshua took a bazooka of a right hand that would yeah. that like knocked flat like so many heavyweights over the years. Yeah, absolutely, and he went down and, and got up and and yeah, Dillian White also drew, you know hit him flush with a hard hook and, and hurt him. Yeah. Um, but he battled back, and I guess to Wilder's credit, with lesser fighters, he's been dinged. You know, I think yeah. uh, Eric Molina seemed to have him hurt a little bit, and Vetter early in his career had him down. Um, but you know, he, he rallied. So both guys, both guys, kind of have a, a, a bit of warrior in them. What I like too is is, is heading into 2018, we kind of have, um, if things work out, a, a mini heavyweight tournament. Mm. You've got Joshua Parker. Which I would say is like one one against three. Yeah. And then uh Wilder versus Ortiz. So you got two against four. So you've kinda got a semifinals. Um and then hopefully we'll we'll get a finals either in two thousand eighteen or or uh I guess more likely most people seem to think it'll it'll go early two thousand nineteen. And then there's the wild card of Tyson Fury out there as well.
1: <laughs> if if he's capable, I we we were discussing this earlier. Uh, it, it appeared to us that he's gained in the neighborhood of 100 pounds from his <laughs> ideal fighting weight of around 250, 255. Right. Uh, I can't imagine it being healthy to lose that weight in less than a year. Right. So seems like there's a renewed willingness for him to get back into the ring and be a player. Who knows what his money situation is. Um, never thought much of him as a fighter, but I mean... You can't take away what he was able to accomplish with a pretty shitty version of Glitchko, but right. but still, it was a surprise to watch that fight, and definitely in terms of personality, even though I find most of how it manifests to be pretty repugnant. Yeah, he's a bit ignorant,
0: a bit ignorant. <laughs> yeah, the misogyny and homophobia,
1: but he's a he's definitely a character and a showman, um, similar, I guess, to Conor McGregor in
0: some respects with the UFC. Um, Thank God Conor McGregor doesn't sing. Oh God, yeah, right. I hate when Tyson Fury sings.
1: No, it's awful. But but no, he, he still has this claim of being the lineal champion, and I think just psychologically, it would be kind of nice to have that be passed on to a rightful heir. Right. You know. So I, I I like where the heavyweight division is absolutely, and the idea that somebody like Joshua can fight, and the question is not even who is he fighting when he's in the UK but just when is he fighting
0: right that's right. very appealing absolutely and 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 yeah we we talked about it a little bit before the podcast but uh you know and and a lot you know the, the big conjecture is when Joshua Wilder happens where is it going to happen is it you know people are, oh it's got to happen in the UK because Joshua is the big draw but uh, you know as we, as we were talking about um, you would have thought that with the Joshua Klitschko rematch as well, but that seemed like it was headed towards Vegas, and it's yeah. just about money. You know, Vegas doesn't have the big venues, although in a few years they will once the Raiders football stadium gets built. Right. But, uh, um, yeah, they 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 just charge a ton in ticket prices, and because they can make that money on the drop, the site fee is a lot more. So, uh, you know, they the huge gate— and uh, site fees, you know, people come to Vegas. So, you know, don't, don't count that fight out uh, happening in the U.S. Um, so uh, another development in, in 2017 that was certainly huge was uh, boxing coming back in real boxing, coming back to uh, ESPN yeah. uh, in, in the U.S. Um, and without having to do the time buy that the PBC did. But... Credit to the PBC for being the plow horse, taking the chance, mm. because what that did was it gave executives at ESPN real numbers. Yes, it did. And, uh, and being able to see that boxing, when there are compelling matchups, which the PBC unfortunately didn't really follow through on and, and, and were consistent with. And in all honesty, and, and certainly this is a bugaboo for me, um, I don't think there's not any one entity. That is going to give you consistent great fights. No one has a roster fight, and the PBC has a zillion fighters, and they've got great fighters in almost every weight category. But there's not one entity that can give you consistently great programming, you know, for year upon year upon year. No one has the roster, you know. I mean, you need other promoters. You're going to need other promoters. And, you know, when are the promoters going to start working together? When are they going to do TV deals together? When is the light bulb going to go on? Gee, the UFC got four point some billion dollars, yeah. you know, uh, because they were a unified entity. Why don't we form a league or why don't we form a, some sort of joint venture or some sort of like loose consortium where we, where we adhere to a decent set of ratings, you sure. know, the transactional ratings or something? And do these tournaments that are a brilliant idea and, and are, 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 are you know coming off pretty well. But having said that, <laughs> yeah, I, it's 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 great, it, and you know the, the the ratings seem to be bearing out that people enjoy watch still and young people too. Yeah, the, the demographics are there. I mean, uh, they I, were they were hugely enthusiastic. Both
1: Bob Arum and Todd Deboeuf. I I interviewed them for a, an article to come out for Bloomberg soon about this very issue in terms of the stigma of boxing being dead and let's just expose where that came from and and where it's at today and that stigma has been around basically since boxing started since since around 1900 was the first time that that was put in print and then it was disseminated over the years of people raising it again and again and again wasn't true then and it's certainly not true now and we do have hard numbers to show, head-to-head, boxing versus UFC. Boxing is not just winning, but winning in the key demographics that advertisers are looking for. Right, And I think you're going to hear this increasingly, that just the facts don't are not commiserate with the narrative. That with it's the being stereotype, spun. With yeah. <laughs> the stereotype. It's just not present. And I think what you're also seeing, I mean, most recently with Rigo and Lomachenko going on ESPN – following uh, a telecast that highlighted uh, the Heisman trophy being handed out boxing had bigger numbers right staggering right. something like that college right. football in this country you think wow how much you know how many things are bigger than college football in this country boxing the dead sport the old man sport all this <laughs> um, more people would tune in I mean it's very interesting and they are tremendous, both Aram and Dubuff are tremendously interested in doing what they can to try to turn boxing into a league, to try to be consistent with the things that have made these other leagues effective and, and have been um, examples again and again of boxing shooting itself in the foot when it's had opportunities to really capitalize off of the momentum from big fights. I mean, that's what we're seeing, that's what we've seen historically are these spectacle fights. And everything else is just below the radar with the mainstream media. Um, but I, I think that is going to be harder for media outlets, um, non-boxing-related outlets, to sort of deny when you're seeing you know, a lot of coverage for the UFC, boxing being avoided... I pitched the Lomachenko-Rigo fight to New York Times, and they said, well, uh, a regular reader, do you think they would care about this? <laughs> well, if it's getting more viewership than the Heisman Trophy.
0: Right, 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 right.
1: Why wouldn't a regular The regular
0: reader, reader you mean, you know, who goes to the Times for sports news? I, right. mean, <laughs> I would think that the enlightened, you know, person who reads, you know, the, the, the Times sports page would know who Lomachenko and Rigo are, sure. or at least would be interested. Why not? That you know, yeah. I mean, there's you know two guys who won double gold medals. I mean, it's a huge. Which has never happened before, right? Right. It's a huge. It was a huge fight. You know, it didn't turn out to be a great fight, but yeah. you know, going in, there was a lot of anticipation. I mean,
1: well, and you you have a couple countries that are pretty prominent in the news with the Ukraine and Cuba as well in terms of backstories, right? Um, yeah, I don't really understand that when it's right in your own backyard at Madison Square Garden, it's being shown on regular TV that gets millions of viewers.
0: Yeah, it's it's hard to fight. You know, the the UFC uh, was brilliant with the propaganda that you know, oh, boxing's an old dead sport. We're the sport that's coming on. You know, we're taking over. Yeah. I don't know how many people I talk to at fights or just in casual conversation who use those words exactly. The U, isn't the UFC taking over boxing? It's just like, no, <laughs> you know? <Yeah>. I mean, <laughs> there's room for the UFC, you know, I mean, they you know, they've been, they've, they've done a tremendous job of, of marketing Absolutely. their sport and building their sport from scratch. Yeah. You know? um, but taking over, I mean, you know, the highest paid athlete in all of sports has always been a boxer, you know, just it. That didn't change, you know. Well, what changed is that not just the highest paid athlete
1: is a boxer, but the highest paid entertainer
0: is right. a boxer. Right, right, right. This right. guy's making
1: two hundred million dollars for thirty six minutes of playing tag, you know, <laughs> and he's and then he's selling it again.
0: Right, right, and and the highest pay per views generally have been boxing. I mean, UFC has kind of been creeping up there with, uh, you know, they had a banner year in two thousand sixteen, a great year, but um, you know, and 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 um beyond mayweather you know and and canelo it's 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 been pretty lean for sure. boxing you know fights that uh normally you would think would 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 you know the two top light heavyweights in the world you know that might draw you know half a million buys or something right. was i guess because of poor promotion and uh, just people not knowing or actually just being excited about the fight you know yeah. i mean I don't know. Um, even GGG, I don't know, until he fought Canelo. But, but again, you know what? Mayweather wasn't a big pay-per-view draw either. I think his fight with Gaddy, which you would think those are two big names, before he fought De La Jolla, yeah. I think that only did a couple hundred thousand buys. So, um, But you know what? It's, it's interesting. There was an article in, um, you know, getting back to ESPN. Um, you know, they asked Aram about this. Like, listen, you're going to have a shortfall mm-hmm. with uh, with your fighters, you know. And, and, and a couple of his fighters, like he's got... Uh, um, that Oscar Valdez is mm-hmm. his featherweight um, the PBC has all the good featherweights so in Showtime right. so it's like alright so what are you going to do and he said well you know he came up with this concept he's like well we can do trades mm-hmm. where you know I'll let Showtime use Valdez you know to to fight you know the, the top fighters there if you know they they loan me a, a fighter to fight you know Crawford you know one of their welterweights right. you know have him fight on ESPN so Novel concept and, and I can see it but you know, even in the article, Stephen Espinel was like, well, sounds great in theory, but you know, but it, there's always that, okay, you know, checks in the mail thing. I mean, you you have to, you know, heavily negotiate and lawyer that one, like where I think if you're gonna do a trade, you pretty much have to state what the trade is gonna be up front. It can't be like, you know, well Valdez and we'll get you on the backside. It's gotta be like, All right, Valdez is gonna come here. Right. And then we're going to get you know Spence, or we're going to get you know Garcia over here to fight Crawford. Um, you know, I mean, it's an interesting concept, but again, it, to me, it just makes a lot more sense if the promoters, you know, all get the you know the five or six promote. I mean, NFL, NBA, you got thirty owners, all right, who who get together and and you know can can not like the top eight or nine promoters or entities in boxing get together and and work out a TV deal so, you know, they they can make big money. I don't know. It seems a little ridiculous. But, again.
1: It's an interesting spot to be in because I'm wondering another, you know, impact of of the PBC was – Vastly overpaying fighters mm. relative to their commercial value, and, and they're not alone in that.
0: Right, HBO we, had done it as well. <laughs> HBO done that. You know, look at Rock look, Nation. Rock
1: Nation. I mean, right. who did Rock Nation pick up to sort of uh, make a push for sort of prominence in the sport? While well, they, <laughs> not exactly blue chip stocks, with Andre right. Ward, Rigo. Um,
0: Guys that have been very difficult. Gamboa, do they have Gamboa for a while? They no? may have maybe had I'm Gamboa. thinking 50, 50 cent maybe. 50, yeah,
1: that's, uh, that was 50 cent. I think there was a third one. Oh, the third one was Kodo.
0: Kodo, right. Where
1: they're right, paying right. obscene amounts of money with, <laughs> with very limited viewership. Um, but I think with the PVC, paying these fighters amounts of money where they're not really fighting people that fans are clamoring to watch. Um, You know, and and you're seeing also with HBO, HBO made pay-per-view fights of Andre Ward versus Kovalev, the first one, does abysmal numbers. So, of course, they put on a rematch, and I believe it lost a fifth of the audience of the first fight.
0: Yeah, which was, you know, I mean, I I don't know how you do that. I mean, it was actually a very compelling first fight. Absolutely. And bad blood between the fighters, and, you know, the controversial decision, and, and they did less the second time around. I mean, you, you have to try hard to, to mess that up. It bad as it it's is. shocking because <laughs> you're absolutely
1: right. The first fight was a great fight, very tense, two uh, undefeated light heavyweights in their prime. Dangerous, dangerous matchup for both guys. Yeah, highly skilled guys. Highly skilled guys. Uh, one of the best 50-50 fights we'd seen in at least a decade. Absolutely. And absolutely nobody's willing to pay to watch.
0: Right, and the first fight delivered. You know, you you had uh, Kovalev start hot and and drop Andre Ward, and it looked like he had him shook. Yep. And, uh, you know, after, what, five or six rounds, I really, you know, Kovalev had maybe given one one round to Ward, or maybe two at at tops, and, and, uh, you know, I... I thought Kovalev had it in the back and then Ward made the comeback. You know, I actually gave the fight to Ward. I'm in the minority. <laughs> oh,
1: interesting. Yeah.
0: But, uh, yeah, most, most thought that, uh, that Kovalev won that one. Um, but yeah, that, uh, crazy that, 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 uh, that the rematch didn't do as well. And, 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 and you're right. I mean, I think, um, now that the, the PBC, uh, you know, has kind of burned through all that money um, and is now looking to flip the model um, to get a a network deal as opposed to a time buy um, they 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 can't pay all these fighters um, what they were um, you know <laughs> there there were two antitrust cases that that were unsuccessful but I get where they were coming from. I, I don't think they were meritorious. I mean, I think the, the judges got it right, but um, there was definitely something there. Where, where, I mean, all due respect to my friends at the PBC, but they were, you know, they they grabbed a ton of fighters and a ton of networks, and they were trying to be the UFC. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely,
1: that it was pretty clear.
0: And the overpaying of the fighters, I think theory behind that was you know fighters who don't have a network to fight on and um, are seeing what the PBC's paying we're going to jump ship yep you know they were hoping that and, and unfortunately for them that did not work out and now you know they're stuck with fighters who are used to getting paid x amount and you know the gravy train is is kind of not there and in Full disclosure, I had <laughs> fighter fight, you know, PBC guys and got paid very, very well. I mean, I yeah. can attest to the fact that they paid fighters above market. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's, that's another thing. I guess we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> the PBC situation is, sure. is, is really interesting. Um, but, hey, listen, it's great seeing boxing back on network TV and the fact that it's proving the naysayers wrong. The boxing is dead. People wrong. The, the UFC's taking over people wrong uh and and doing great ratings and doing great head to head versus the u f c yeah cannot you know be a bad thing for the sport of boxing. I think going into two thousand and eighteen it's uh, you know uh we got some momentum
1: yeah, and we need to we need to water kids uh you know that garden of kids who want to get into gyms right you know because because that's what we've lost, i think unquestionably is looking around as somebody who trains people in this city. Um, gyms are now, you know, fitness clubs. They're, they're, you know, people are not turning to boxing the way they have historically in this country, and so you've seen massive demographic shifts of of who is taking boxing seriously. These Eastern Europeans and uh, Soviet, former Soviet territories, and um, you know, Mexico is the same. They're pretty consistent in terms of it's a, a pipe dream. For a lot of kids,
0: the hunger, yeah, yeah,
1: the hunger is there. But in the United States, you know, these gyms are closing down.
0: They're being gentrified, like the neighborhoods that they exist in. <laughs> and well, then the competition from the fitness gyms, absolutely. and the raising rent and insurance. I mean, there's it's, it's tough to be a boxing gym, a strictly boxing gym.
1: No, because you know you're not. You know, a lot of these gyms were lifelines to kids. You know, to get off the street, right? And and you had cities investing in them supporting them seeing value in getting kids off the street off street corners um, now w- w- we're not turning a profit from them so what's the what's the point right and uh, I think I think that's a pretty short-sighted view and and just uh, you know boxing is facing a lot of competition because like we're talking about structurally and the way it's organized, a lot of kids are looking at, why would I get my head kicked in when there's so little guaranteed money? There's no union representing my interest. There's no pension. Um, isn't every boxer whose name isn't Andre Ward end up with nothing? Even, right. even when they're a great champion. Right. Um, which I give Ward a lot of credit for being a kind of lighthouse um, for other people to walk away. That it's not cowardly, that, it, you know, there's no reason to second guess it it actually is a really good look to make millions of dollars from the sport be undefeated um, win a bunch of titles and just to walk away at 32 33 years old
0: like most fighters say they will who coming off of a gold medal i'm gonna fight till i'm 30 i'm I'm like at least three or four big name fighters have said that and of course never did Um, and couldn't
1: and, and yeah, and and in many cases couldn't right, you
0: know. Yeah, I mean, you you know, even Floyd Mayweather seems like he's still tempted. Uh, you know, post forty and post fifty and oh, he's still talking about fighting again. And which which and, and he's made more money than he could ever spend. I, uh, let's hope. <laughs> Absolutely, but
1: uh, but yeah, I I think uh, I think trying to get some positive examples out of boxing would be really useful. And it's one thing just going back to Joshua Klitschko is. Uh, I really liked seeing one era's champion, whether or not he was marketable or popular, was a pretty good example for kids. And, I mean, had he been American, I don't know what the American equivalent would be, but somebody whose father uh, probably developed cancer as a result of going into the Hmm. uh, Chechnyan, Chernobyl Chernobyl disaster, um, going in there, to try to save lives, you know, to decontaminate an area at the risk of his own health, you know, mm. long-term health. Um, quite a class of people, quite a, quite a lot of character in that family line. And it seems like both of the brothers have been, what's the scandal associated with their mutual reign atop the heavyweight division?
0: Right. I don't right. know
1: what it is, but we just dismiss
0: it and say, oh, they're boring. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just. The, the the state of play today, right, it, you know, un, unless you're, you know, and, and include Andre Ward in there, you know, I mean, he's, he was, he was too boring, right? Too he, boring. He, he didn't give enough away of, of, of his backstory even, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and reporters, you know, thought he was a little remote and, you um, yeah, it's like you know, uh, and, and then there's Floyd Mayweather, who's who's you know, he's loud, he's brash, he's flashy, he's you know, ignorant, yep. and uh, and 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 folks eat that up. You know, it, it seems like you know the the values your mother taught you are are not the ones that are going to uh, <laughs> lead you to, uh, you know, the presidency of the United States or uh, you know, being a billionaire boxer.
1: It's that it's that I, I I don't know if you ever saw the film Private Parts the Howard Stern biopic <laughs> but there's a scene in it where one of Howard Stern's uh producers I think he was a producer uh orders orders a survey of the kind of people that are listening to Howard Stern and why they're listening to Howard Stern and the people who are anti-Stern who are listening to Stern and the the people who are pro-Stern who listen Listen for an hour, and their number one reason is to see what he'll do next. Right, and the people against him listen for two hours, and it's the same reason why they listen. <laughs> and and certainly Mayweather offered that. You know, right. he could be racist against Filipinos, demeaning to any number of <laughs> minorities or or groups. Um, but it just provided, beats his wife or his beat, girlfriend. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Just uh, I, I remember thinking about that, and and. Thinking if anybody was auditioning for a role of O.J. Simpson, mm. uh, Mayweather's credentials are far better than O.J.'s were <laughs> before the murders. Uh, you know,
0: uh, right? Uh.
1: You know, and that's not an exaggeration. You know, seven mm. beatings for O.J. before he whacks his wife and and uh, this guy delivering his wife's glasses. You know, Mayweather's pretty close to that at forty mm. years old. Um, scary, scary to think, and but not far off in terms of venerating somebody like that and and not having pause to put money in their pocket you know given how they're earning it because it certainly wasn't earning it in the ring being just as dominant a fighter prior to
0: being given a platform like HBO and after Oscar De La Hoya and all all of that shit. Right show. right I mean to Floyd's credit I mean he he pretty much made 24/7 Absolutely no <laughs> question
1: about it no question about it but made it in a way that's it's hard to get that genie back in the bottle right where you know what what you're selling in order to gain garner attention how low how low was he willing to stoop i mean he would do anything right anything and and the fact that he made the money that he did was the the only justification that everybody sort of like that's where you'd stop
0: right you know right so yeah, I mean kudos kudos to Andre for not uh, and, and he was vocal about not uh, going down that path. You yes, know, he was about uh, you know not making a spectacle of himself. Um, but uh, going back to uh, what made uh, 2017 great, and certainly uh, Andre Ward was a part of that. But uh, just the great fights that happened pretty right much once or twice a month yeah. um after having you know a, a pretty weak 2016 where you know we were kind of starved for big fights um just to go through a, a you know my short list uh you know january you had badu jack and james de gale in a, in a great uh unification fight that ended Absolutely. in a draw and Seemed to take a whole lot out of James DeGayle. Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) As uh, Caleb Truax proved uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, Frampton, Santa Cruz too, not quite the great fight that the first one was, but a very skillful uh, exhibition by Santa Cruz and um, a little disappointing that he didn't really follow that. I mean, that fight was in January, and he didn't fight again until late in the year, and it was not you know uh, uh, an interesting fight it was just more of a tune-up fight inactivity has been a bit of a frustration for me with two thousand
1: two thousand seventeen. 2017 yeah some of these prominent fighters
0: yeah absolutely absolutely especially my only
1: concern really
0: right right when you look at the great fights that happened early in the year yeah. like the the year could have been even bigger absolutely um february eh? you know wilder washington i mean hey heavyweight championship fight it actually turned out to be a decent fight yeah um, you know Washington pressed uh, Wilder till he got blasted out of there. The the to me one of the uh, best fights of the year was on that undercard. Uh, you know Dominic uh, Brazil and and uh, uh, Ugano uh, vicious yeah <laughs> Izu Izu uh, Ugano uh, just great great fight I, and but again you know where's Ugano I'd love to see him again I mean he's you know, he looked good for about two rounds. <laughs> yeah. Then <laughs> he gassed, but uh that he seemed to have a lot of potential. I hope that's not the last we've seen of him. March you had uh Thurman Garcia, which on paper was a great, great matchup. Yeah. Um unfortunately, uh neither Keith uh nor Mr. Garcia really stepped on the gas in the middle of the late rounds. I mean I guess Garcia started pursuing a little more in the late rounds, but uh yeah, Thurman's performance was a little disappointing. He came out gunning yeah. And uh, landed a couple good shots and then just kind of, you know, yeah. put the four corners offense in there yeah. in the last couple of rounds. Didn't meet expectations. I mean, I think people were expecting a lot from that. I, was, I mean, five million viewers it peaked that uh, on CBS. I mean, that's, that's one of those missed opportunities. You're just like, ah, oh, come on, guys. You know, it's, it's, it's boxing. Traditionally, it's the best division, the welterweights. Yeah. Uh, It's usually where the best fighters kind of uh, matriculate. And, uh, yeah, a little bit of a disappointment, but uh, certainly not in the ratings. Um, Golovkin, Jacobs also in March. Damn good fight. Damn good matchup. You know, I mean, again, you know, GGG, um, maybe lost in the shuffle a a little bit, you know, in, in the fighter of the year consideration, considering I think his op Opposition for the year was probably the toughest of any of the major fighters out there. He took on the two toughest guys in his division and should have gotten wins over, close wins over both.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and, and Jacobs was a much tougher fight than I thought coming mm, in. I, mm. I thought he comported himself really impressively. Um, I didn't think that he'd be able to, to box with Golovkin to the degree that he did, but... Um, no, I mean, I wouldn't say he looked dangerous in there, but he looked very, very far more competitive than I imagined. I, I went into that thinking Golovkin's going to roll over him, mm. and in the end, I, I, Jacob Stock went went up, and I think you saw that with HBO signing him,
0: right? You know, Absolutely, so, that know. that was the impetus, I would think. Absolutely, um, yeah, Jacobs. You know, as, as we've talked about before, I. He He's one of these guys who physically just has all the tools, um, and he's got a great trainer um, with, with with Andre. But um, I, I just, you know, I always make the analogy to Arthur Ashe. Uh, the, the knock on Ashe was he had so many weapons, he just couldn't figure out when and where to use mm-hmm. them. And sometimes Danny's like that. It's like, okay, now I'm going to turn left-handed. Like, why? Yeah. It's like, because he can, you know? Because <laughs> yeah. like, he... I don't know. I think, you know, if he were just a better tactician with all the talent that he has, he could be the best fighter in the sport. But um, at this point in his career, you wonder if he's ever going to really put it all together. And again, I love Danny as a person and as a fighter. Um, But, uh, you know, to me, that fight was winnable. So, I mean, you heard me. I was (laughs) I'll admit I was screaming for Danny in the audience. And when he turned left-handed, I would get so pissed off because it's like, what are you doing? You know, you your offense gets frozen when you go go lefty.
1: I've never seen it work. The only time I've seen it work was, I guess,
0: Crawford and Gamboa. Well, Crawford is a guy who legitimately, I think, he fights better left. Yeah, he might. Yeah, he's more effective because he actually can can be offensive. Yeah, at a lefty stance. A lot of these guys who switch. You know, it's it's more for defensive purposes. You yeah. know, they they, they they can't seem to, they just look really awkward. Um, on that undercard, there was Chocolatito Gonzalez and uh, Sorong Vasai won, which was a tremendous, tremendous battle. Amazing. I mean, just a violent fight for 12 <laughs> rounds. Stole
1: the night. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And however you came out of that, l- watching it live, I wasn't surprised to see Sorong Vasai get the decision. I, I, I don't know if I scored it round by round, but I had a sense. I was like, if this is a draw, I'm, I'm not going to complain.
1: I think that's how I scored
0: it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, he came out with the win and then you know, obviously later in the year proved that that was no fluke. Yes, sir. April, you know, we've already talked about Joshua Klitschko. That was, you know, just the event of the year. 90,000 at Wembley and two heavyweights fighting like they wanna, wanted to be there and wanted to win.
1: <laughs> Epic throwback fight.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Then May, we got, you know, the the great welterweight fight that uh, Thurman Garcia wasn't. You had <laughs> Brooke and Spence going, uh, you know, neck and neck and again. Spence going overseas and Brooke coming off of a hellacious beating from a Golovkin and a broken face and going up, you know, what, 13 pounds and coming back down. Coming off the injury and getting in with Errol Spence, I mean, just balls. Huge
1: balls. <laughs> That's exactly where I was going. It's a huge brass ball. I love Brooke, but I'm not enjoying his orbital bone just being routinely crushed.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of like I mean, obviously the fighter is the one who who makes the final decisions on who he fights, but whoever is managing Kell Brook, I think gets gets if there's a if there's a uh, award for worst manager of the oh. year. <laughs> No, no regard for his health. Whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Golovkin and Spence back-to-back. Ugh, brutal schedule. But uh, kudos to Calbrook for taking that, and kudos to Errol Spence for going overseas yep. in a huge step-up in competition Looked for him. That's brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. And, and fought like a champ. Yep. Fought like he, he lived up to exceeded expectation.
1: Yeah, he's a blue-chip prospect,
0: absolutely. And then, you know, next, the, the month after that, we had uh, Ward Kovalev, too. And, uh, you know... Interesting fight. I mean, going into it, a lot of people felt like, okay, Ward is the more skilled guy. If anyone's going to learn from their mistakes, uh, it's going to be Ward. Kind of turned out that way, but in all honesty, I had Kovalev ahead going into that last round. (laughs) It kind of played out a lot like the first fight, but, I mean, yeah. What would you think about that ending? (laughs) Well, I mean,
1: when you're punching up, and hitting the bottom of a guy's balls. I just don't know how there's any discussion about it being a quote-unquote beltline shot. I mean, it was just bottom of the testicles and uppercutting at them. You know, so I I put a – I think it's the only time I've taken a a gif of something and put it on Twitter Mm. that got a 1,000 people retweeting it because I just said, you know – the ref was in an optimal position to view those shots. And you're listening to the HBO commentators just saying, Oh, body shot, body shot. Yeah. They kind shot. of
0: ignored it. And I don't even know after the replays, if they really, they, they didn't really, uh, just go bizarre. into it the way they should have. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I just, it was a little bit surreal just cause it was just so egregious. And, you know, both of these guys are not the cleanest fighters, you know, <laughs> right. historically. Um, but I mean, Ward took advantage of a referee that was in a prime position to see an egregious foul. I mean, the referee's not going to do anything about it. I think it's sort of like Lomachenko
0: Solito. Um, but at know. the same time, you know, Kovalev put Tony Weeks in a very tough position because yeah. he basically just sat down on the ropes. It's and, absolutely true. you know, and looked like he didn't want any more, looked like he was in pain. But, you know, Listen, you got you got a John Ruiz there. You got a Vladdy Divac. You got to flop, man. Yeah. You got to go on the canvas and grab your balls. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, either that or you say something to him, or I mean, you need you need to wa- turn your back. I mean, do something. I mean, take a knee.
1: Yeah. take
0: a knee there. Take a knee. I mean, I guess you know, easy to say in hindsight, but uh, you know, he put. I mean, he just basically stopped fighting, sat down on the rope with Andre standing over him. You know, about to bash him again. So. Weeks had to step in and do something, probably should have stepped in and and, and given him time to recover. Um, But, you know, if he missed the low blows, you know, or I I don't know, maybe it's just one of those things where you're like, okay, he's in trouble. He's in trouble. Yes, that was a low blow, but I'm going to let it go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, the momentum of the fight is going one way. I don't know. Seems like it was kind of one of those calls.
1: It was. A, I mean, it was a great fight. I like the first fight a lot, and I like Ward for taking on a huge challenge in Kovalev. Kovalev is a very dangerous fighter. He has killed a man in the ring. You know his right. countrymen uh, earlier on in his career. He is a very very dangerous long opponent um, who is a, a ferocious light heavyweight. So that is a difficult fight for Ward, and as somebody that. Spent a few days with Ward. I have never heard somebody request so much off-the-record material, and a lot of that, <laughs> uh, full disclosure, now that he's retired, had to do with injuries. Right. There's a lot of injuries that we know he has, and there are a lot of injuries we don't know about that he doesn't mm. want talked about. Mm. That he, he told me he is in a constant state of pain from the moment he wakes up to when he goes to sleep. Oh, wow. So that's not going to get better you know right. that's chronic that's chronic pain that he's enduring and he's not one of those guys that when you spend time with him like most of these elite champions who just radiates a kind of otherworldly achilles like um <laughs> just just uh, they're just like a different species in terms of just their athleticism, their discipline and all that. Ward seems like a real guy who happens to be an extraordinary boxer. Right. When you see him in the ring with what he can do and just how intelligent he is. And I think what we saw with Kovalev was him being pushed to the brink with adversity and um, it, the man just finds a way to win. He's just such a consummate winner. He's not winning in a way that people want to pay for. He's not marketable. He's not charismatic um He just turns pe- uh, turns a lot of people off for reasons that they can't even put their finger on. <laughs> That's you know, true. you know, a lot of this that you know he's remote or or there could be some arrogance and that sort of thing. But um I found even in his own community in Oakland, we'd go around. There were a lot of people who'd approach him who'd say, "I think I know know that you're somebody, but I just don't quite know who you are." <laughs> wow. Um, I mean he hasn't left Oakland. Mm, you know, true. he's been there forever. Fought there
0: a ton of times. Fought
1: there a ton of times. He's front row at every uh Golden State Warriors game. He's right. friends with, you know, the best basketball player in the world. <laughs> they they hang out. He's a prominent member of 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 his church and and doing a lot of outreach and charity. And he's still not known in in his own community. So uh, there's just something odd about him. But boy, when you put him into the ring, I mean, this is one of the toughest competitors I think boxing's ever had. Right. And I think he's shown that. Uh, I don't quite know how he's such a consummate winner because I can see a lot of people who punch a lot harder, a lot faster. Um, But I don't know any of them who are quite as competitive as he is. You know, his desire to win is just... That's his otherworldly quality. And uh, going back to Custom auto, if if skill is equal, it's a battle of wills. And I don't think I've ever come across a will with quite the intensity of his. And, and I've, I've interviewed a lot of these guys who are in the sport who are tremendous competitors, but
0: it's not, it, it, it doesn't quite have the same sort of scary intensity that Ward has. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Just uh, one of the ultimate competitors in, in, in the sport of boxing. Um, and uh, sad to see him go, but at the same time, um, you know, where was he going to go from here? Um He, uh, you know, the talk of fighting at heavyweight, that didn't really interest me. Just, I mean, he looked small as a light heavyweight, you know. and He he did. And and fighting at cruiserweight, I mean, there was nothing really compelling there. You you
1: know, I can give you a scoop, Kurt, because I Uh, found out who he was supposed to fight after this.
0: mm. Did you hear
1: any rumors about it?
0: Uh, Only that maybe Tony Ballou, maybe, you know, they talked about Joshua, but. They had a deal basically done and it had nothing to do with Ballou
1: it had nothing to do with Joshua it was with Mike Lee Mr. <laughs> Subway spokesman Mike Lee was who wow. he was going to fight.
0: well Andre stay retired bro.
1: yeah <laughs> or, or don't let's take a few years and you know pull a Tyson fury and then still come back and fight <laughs> Mike Lee but no I couldn't believe that when I heard I thought of oh, all the people Wow
0: undefeated Mike Lee. Wow, and, and HBO willing to uh to you know, with the under the, the brilliant stewardship of Peter Nelson, uh,
1: <laughs> Mike uh, Lee.
0: Putting on uh, you know, not only uh it was a Ward versus Brand, which was Ugh. a horrendous fight, but then uh Mike Lee. Wow. Or
1: Barrera. No, I mean Mike Lee, my favorite anecdote from Mike Lee, he uh he had the same trainer as, as Rigo God what, four or five years ago. Um Houston trainer, uh, Ronnie Shields. And my favorite comment that he made to me was uh, all the things he'd learned from being in Rigo's camp and just said, you know, I'm not a typical white fighter. I don't fight like a white fighter. And I hadn't seen him fight. So when I looked at the tapes, I mean, the, the first thing you think about watching him fight and <laughs> looking at his privilege white is white there white is no more white fighter in in and out of the ring than Mike <laughs> Lee. <laughs>
0: Now, of course, you know, when we say white fighter, we mean white American fighter. Yes, because, we do. Uh, <laughs> the, yes, we do. the guys from Eastern Europe uh, uh, aren't typically like Mike Lee, but, you know. Yeah, I'll, Loma, do, re- Loma- I'll do respect Mike. Yeah. You know, we respect everyone who, who gets into the ring. Yeah, but. I'm not saying that he's a white fighter
1: in the sense of Lomachenko being a white
0: fighter. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Wow, Wardley. So, uh, so, luckily, that one wasn't on the uh, roster of 2017, but... Uh, just uh, going through the, uh, well, I guess, you know, there's some great fights coming up here. But uh, in July, Garcia-Broner, which was just kind of a, a odd matchup, but kind of like, wow, all right, hey. that I was excited uh, for I, I like that fight. I like that fight. And uh, the way it played out was really interesting, too. Um, Broner, I guess, had it in his mind. He didn't want to slug with Garcia early on. And Garcia, I've, it's rare that you see a fighter... Have another fighter on a string like he did with his feints. Yeah, I mean he he had Broner just tied up in knots, just foot feints, head feints. It was brilliant. He it he really moved was. him wherever he wanted him to go. He had him like a yo-yo, you know, Persistent. for about the first six seven rounds. Very um, impressive. Yeah, I mean he, Broner's tough. Broner's a tough out, and
1: right Garcia dominated that fight. I don't think Broner's ever been the same after the Maidana fight. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that took a lot of uh, air out of the, uh, really, the Broner balloon.
1: It really did. And outside the ring, he's just been, you know, in free fall. Um, yeah, yeah, pretty erratic. Pretty erratic. Uh, just seems like he's waiting, waiting to give an excuse to put him away. Mm. And it's mm. and it's sad. I I haven't really liked the sort of character he's shown. Right. You know, throughout his career. Absolutely. But I don't I don't wish him ill. But. Uh, but he was a very,
0: very promising fighter, and it's disappointing. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's you know, it's you, you wonder now. I mean, he's not quite like gatekeeper status. I mean, he's still he's because because Crawford moved up, it makes 140 still wide open. Yeah. I um, and in, in all honesty, I'm a little surprised that Garcia's hanging around there because it seems like there are better fights for him uh, at the lower weights. Um, right. But uh, but he's now moving on to and staying at that way which seems a little heavy for him he seemed a little small as a 40 pounder i mean when when broner decided to finally stick his nose in there and uh, and brawl in the last couple of rounds clearly stronger than garcia oh yeah you know if if he if he had decided to to war it with garcia might have won that fight garcia just has the
1: fundamentals and and the composure he's just one of those guys that's just not wasting an ounce of
0: energy it uh, just seems so comfortable and relaxed, right? Literally born into boxing, yes. it shows. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. There's a there's a composure that is very unusual, and you can see how it wears down his opponents.
0: Absolutely, there's no
1: way to psych him out, and um, you know he's he is looking to put you away. He's still a dangerous puncher in that weight class. I agree with you. I think he should move back down to at least 135, but I guess he's struggling a little bit with that weight.
0: Maybe, or, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe he's struggling with his what he's going to do with his career, you know. He yep. seems to want to be, you know, I mean, uh, Steve Kim has rattled, rattled on about this endlessly, about, you know, oh, you can't be a free agent in this game, and, you know, you're, you know Garcia's no Sugar Ray Leonard. Um, but, you know, listen, he's a bit of a mercenary, um, you know, but he's going where the big paydays are. Yep. You know, he's just like, hey, you know, I'm not, you know. It's prize fighting. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's about making money. So,
1: And there's some big ones out there for him. You yeah, know, he, you
0: think Lenaris, even a, a, a unification with Robert Easter, you, yep. you thought, you know, it, like when he didn't take the Lenaris fight, you were kind of like, okay, well, he's going to fight someone in the PBC, probably going to be Robert Easter. But then it wasn't Robert Easter, and it's Lippinettes, and, and it's kind of like, eh, I mean, it's... It's kind of, sort of interesting, but, you know, I don't really want to see Mike, Mikey Garcia 140, in all honesty. I'd, I'd no. like to see him stay at 35 and eventually fight Lomachenko. I think that's the big fight that people want to see. I totally agree, uh, you know, or...
1: I, he needs to get some names at this point. He's been around long enough, and he's he's shown us how. But what good he needs he is. is some
0: su- uh, is a super fight.
1: He needs a super fight. I mean,
0: he's beaten yeah. some good names.
1: He needs a Pacquiao or a yeah, Lomachenko, yeah. you know, just something.
0: He, right, right. I mean, he beat you know Salido. He beat Broner. Uh, you know, he, beat, he won the lightweight title. He's won titles in what three weight divisions yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. It's time, time for a super fight. Also in July, as we as we wind our way through the year, a lot of great fights. Pacquiao Horn, which again, this was—it was a bit reminiscent of what happened later in the year with Cotto and Ali. You had an opponent who was young, you know, unheralded, but talented. Again, another Olympian. Jeff Jeff Horn was an Olympian. Uh, people didn't really respect that and felt like you know Pacquiao was going to put another shrimp on the Barbie and you know have a good time down under, go surfing maybe, and uh, and knock out Jeff Horn. And it uh, turned out to be, I mean, I don't know. It was a close fight. Could have went either way to my mind. I mean, maybe Pacquiao landed the more effective punches, but Horn seemed to be the guy controlling the action in there. Like yeah. when, when they exchanged, it was because Horn wanted, you know, to exchange, and, and he bulled Pacquiao around the ring. He, he looked did, so man. much bigger than him. Um, Huge upset. I mean, I I made the argument to to Mike Woods. It's like, you know, yeah, you got all these guys up here for manager of the year. I said, but the real manager of the year is whoever, you know, got the Pacquiao fight for Jeff Horn. Yeah. Because they got an aging superstar and in against the guy who's not a heralded prospect, maybe not an elite talent. But they just picked the right time and the right place. And their guy's a a star now. And he's going to make a lot of money.
1: And got huge ratings. Yeah, exactly. Massive
0: ratings for that fight. Exactly, exactly. Jeff, Jeff Horn, no one would know who, who he was otherwise no. had they not gotten him this fight. No, and I mean, that was a fight. I mean, I think that was the first big
1: one that ESPN showed. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I was watching that fight with Thomas Hauser at his house, and I thought, boy, this is so horribly managed. <laughs> like, I mean, I think the fight started at something like midnight or 1230,
0: Oh yeah, you know, yeah, on the East yeah, Coast yeah. for a fight. Anyone like the, who tried to DVR that, it got cut oh, off.
1: <laughs> no, you just thought Jesus and Stephen A. Smith, you know, just uh, no business
0: calling fights, but I'm yeah, blessed. I guess we didn't really get into that with e- when we talked about ESPN, but uh, yeah, they—I mean, I don't know—someone who has a bit of knowledge about what makes a good boxing broadcast uh, should really kind of consult with them because. Teddy Atlas, I'm not sorry to see go. And, and honestly, with Teddy, I've had a couple of encounters with him, and I've seen the best of Teddy, and I've seen the worst of Teddy. I mean, I, I saw him uh, give a eulogy at uh, at a trainer's wake. Um, that that just you know was beautiful. It, it was very touching, and the fact that he came, and you know, it, it was you know very humble guy. wasn't a superstar trainer. Um, the fact that he showed up and, and, and said the words that he did It was amazing I'll always respect him for that um, But I, there's other encounters I've had with him Where I talk to him And he does He mumbles and, and walks away You know Just completely arrogant You know Asshole yeah. <laughs> right? Lack of a better word So yeah and, and and you know He's just gotten into this habit Of ranting on the broadcast And making a spectacle of himself Making himself the story As opposed to what's going on In the ring So, all in, I'm not sorry to see him go.
1: No, I'm glad to see him go. And, you know, I I don't think I've ever offered an ad hominem attack against anybody in the sport. But I did with Teddy publicly, which was to say what has always frustrated me about him is you look at his introductory introduction to the sport. When he was working Kevin Rooney's corner against Arguello in 1982, you can watch this on YouTube – when they walk into the ring and he's wearing his trainer's coat, he has his own name on the back instead of <laughs> his fighters. So when we're talking about this self-aggrandizement and these sort of is it just about Teddy? Is it just about advancement? You know, with his fighters. I've I've interviewed you know Shannon Briggs who said to me, it seems very consistent with this theme that we're establishing, that when we were winning and and at the time that Briggs was on his way up he was the next Tyson he was the centerpiece of HBO's Night of the Young Heavyweights everything was Tyson, Tyson, Tyson here's the next one and he's got Tyson's first trainer Right Teddy Atlas um, and Briggs said you know when we were winning and he was knocking out everybody at first it was always we were winning Right it was really like Teddy was getting through me what he deserved as far as the credit for Tyson that was denied him And the moment that I lost on that Night of the Young heavyweights, I lost. Hmm. That told me a lot about Teddy to me. And, And I don't think this was bullshit from Briggs. And I think what I'm trying to say about him wearing his own name instead of his fighters, I've never heard of that in the sport. And everybody I've ever mentioned that to has never heard of that ever happening.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've managed fighters for 20 years and I've never seen a trainer, you know, wear his own name
1: on wear his, his own back. name.
0: It's always about the fighter. You're it's there, about the you're fighter. working for the fighter, you know, you're representing the fighter. You, you know, it's team, whatever, you know, right. it's not, you know, look at me. You know, I'm Teddy Atlas.
1: Yeah, and, and I just think, you know, read read his book about his dad. You find out that his dad, a, a prominent doctor in Staten Island, not charging some kids. You know, it sounds like his dad was a pretty nice guy to a lot of people, right. but he wasn't a very nice guy to Teddy. Mm. When Teddy was going to getting sentencing for armed robbery and was about to be sent to Rikers, his dad didn't come to his defense mm. to to offer testimony on behalf of Teddy's character. It was Customato. Wow. And Customato is somebody who Teddy has thrown under the bus at every opportunity, <laughs> insinuating he had AIDS from a sexual relationship with Jimmy Jacobs, uh, that he was a lazy person who just watched TV. <laughs> um, you know, just seemingly just couldn't get over that Cuss got so much credit for finding Tyson, developing Tyson, and that sort of thing. Just ego, ego, and, and buys his way out of it with the Teddy Atlas Foundation, mm. um, you know, and, and looking after kids at his gym, which, which I'm not in any way trying to undermine um, its benefit to a lot of kids but it just seems like he's somebody that does a lot of harm and then does some good and sort of says, you know, down the middle if you average them out... I wish the harm wasn't there so much with Teddy.
0: Right. He's a complicated guy. Yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, I think Atlas Cops and Kids is is, is great. I mean. Uh, no question. If, if, if nothing else, they're certainly producing a lot of uh, New York Golden Gloves champions. Absolutely. If you, you watch the gloves. It's like sometimes you've got Atlas Cops and Kids versus Atlas Cops and Kids in there. And, you know, the fact that they have education there and tutoring and so on, um, that is good. Again, yeah, he's, it's. Teddy there there's two sides to the guy and and, and not a lot of middle in all No
1: No 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 and I and I think I'm
0: I'm personally just
1: sensitive to I don't like bullies I don't like people who try to be tough guys and it seems like yeah. Teddy has spent a lifetime trying to be the tough guy try to be the bully try to intimidate people right. and I I strongly dislike the quality and um that being said I I do know several people that speak well of him that are friends with him uh offer that he's a very intelligent person um just the ego just seems so out of control and and just seems pretty abusive and abrasive
0: yeah and on espn it's like no one else's opinion matters you have to feed teddy you know the you you know know, he's 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 a ball hog you know in, 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 in like basketball terms i mean it's it's all about feeding teddy he doesn't throw the ball back you know once once the ball goes to teddy you know, he's shooting it, you know, and and, and and no one else's opinion matters. So, uh,
1: that's a shame because he's a great trainer. I, I think there yeah, is he so does have some great insight at Absolutely.
0: times, without question. He's got tremendous experience in the sport. Um, but, uh, yeah, his, 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 his demons or, or whatever's, uh, driving it, uh, just, just make him really unpalatable at times and not, not sad, not sorry that ESPL.
1: No, I'm not sorry, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, de- undeniably a character. I just, kind of like the what could be the last chapter of his commentating career his back and forth weird duet with Stephen A. Smith
0: was just unlistenable yeah it's just awful (laughs) it's unwatchable unlistenable and again ESPN please get rid of Stephen Smith I mean just calling guy does not know the sport he's just loud I mean it's again ugh no, well, is the where are we where are we <laughs> you know you jackass yeah it's like you know that gets put on tv but yeah. someone who's knowledgeable and uh you know humble well, you'll never see the light of day but whatever all right so <laughs> let's let's try to zip through here and i i kind of do want to zip through what was a, sure. a big spectacle but hasn't really had much resonance beyond the event which was uh mayweather mcgregor mm-hmm. um in all honesty, that, that's kind of how it was. I mean, you know, you knew McGregor p- was going to get smacked around by Mayweather. You knew he probably wouldn't fight in boxing after that. It was a cash grab. Yeah. You knew Floyd was just coming back for the cash. Um, so with no, you know, subsequent narrative, it's kind of like, yeah, great. They got their money. They got the views. Big spectacle. And who gives a fuck?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the only big shocker was was watching Mayweather for three rounds not throw a punch.
0: Oh, I know. You were, like, apoplectic. You're like, what is he doing?
1: Well, I'll just, I mean. And what they,
0: is this? Am I watching, like, a, a work going on right. here? Well, and, and subsequently he admitted to carrying him. But, yeah. You know, but
1: it was, it just seemed, I mean did a lot of media for that because, I mean, everybody was interested in opinions, especially the Irish media, <laughs> and just to play it up and, and do my own Stephen A. Smith thing saying it's more likely that Mayweather is going to lose from a pulmonary embolism <laughs> than to competitively lose to this guy, but I was just trying to make the point. This is somebody that has never had a boxing match. Well, like why would we expect anything different in the same way
0: Absolutely. If
1: Mayweather jumped into the octagon. Right. I don't care if he fights the the 100th best fighter yeah. at MMA, he's going
0: to get destroyed. He is going to get taken down. So and, what's the and, point of it? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And then and Floyd seemed to treat it like that. I mean, I heard, yeah, he stopped sparring because his hands were hurting. So spending nights at the strip club, I mean, he treated it like pros versus Joes. Yeah. You know, it was like, and it was. I'm in here with an amateur. I'm going to play with him for a little while. And then when, you know, it's time to get him out, I'm going to get him out. So Yeah, just I'm yep. glad
1: it's done. Yep. Fuck him, fuck them. <laughs>
0: Then came September, and uh, the fight that had was supposed to be the biggest fight in boxing of the year. Um, Definitely one of the most anticipated, uh, and unfortunately, Mayweather McGregor kind of stole some of the shine from it. But um, Triple G and and Canelo, um, it was a fight, I would say, in some ways it lived up to expectations um, in that it was was very competitive back and forth. Um, you know, uh, nobody, I mean, well, I was going to say nobody ran. Well, Canelo ran a little bit.
1: He did (laughs) (laughs) run.
0: But it, you know, it it was an exciting fight. It was, you know, but, you know, was it like a classic fight? Was it something that, uh, you know, you're going to watch again and again? Um, nah, not really. I haven't. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think Canelo risked enough. Um, both guys I think had, had. Some tactical uh, miscues in in that fight. That it'll be interesting to see in the rematch if 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 they uh, make corrections. But uh, yeah, it seemed like Golovkin ignored the body, and maybe it was just because it wasn't there. Maybe Canelo moved well enough that you know there there wasn't he couldn't plant and and get his body shots off, and it just seemed like Canelo did way too much running. Maybe some clinching in there might have helped him get get yeah. get the air that he needed. Um, but he started you know if he wanted to win that fight, he he gave away way too many too much time and, and too many rounds and and uh didn't risk enough no he didn't no he didn't
1: i mean i thought I thought there was tension in every round i mean every second of every round it was a very enjoyable fight, but you're absolutely right Canelo. canelo's approach, i think is responsible for why it 's not a rewatchable fight, right. I'm glad I saw it. I was very into the fight. But, I mean, there there are movies like that. You know, you go to <laughs> see, you're fully satisfied with what you watch. But there's absolutely, like, it's a box that's checked.
0: Right, right. And
1: um, that being said, I, I'm very excited about the rematch. I'm I'm very intrigued to see what kind of adjustments both guys make. I think we were pretty clear after the Jacobs fight and then the Canelo fight that Golovkin is probably a little bit eroded. From yeah. what he was, you know, he's getting up there in age. I think he's thirty six now.
0: Yeah, it seems like combination of finally getting skilled elite fighters That's into it. the ring to test him, and also some That's wear it. and tear and some age. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I mean,
1: love to see the rematch if that is similar, a little to you know, Canelo is a little more willing to fight. Um, Maybe it needs to be a trilogy, but it, it, Golden Boy would love that. Yeah, they would love that. Um, but not the classic that we hoped, but a very, very entertaining fight, right. high caliber fight. So
0: absolutely, absolutely. Same month, uh, the Superfly card. Give uh, my buddy Tom Loeffler a shout out um, for you know um, making an entire card out of a weight division that generally doesn't see the light of day here in the states. Um, and a rematch that was widely anticipated and widely anticipated that Chocolatito would make things right and go back to being the pound for pound number one, but, uh, got absolutely annihilated in that fight.
1: That was a shocking, shocking fight to see live. Um, just what, what Chocolatito had established, um, definitely had all of HBO on their knees groveling (laughs) to, um, just, just the, I mean, he. What was fun about him was he had calibrated his own style of offense. When you think of a tremendously offensive fighter, it's its own mold, what Chocolatito was doing, to overwhelm opponents and devastate them. I'd never seen it quite like that. And, and that's always thrilling, where it becomes like a primary color. Um, and to see just, you know, I, I think with drug testing improving... You're seeing why it was so difficult historically for guys to move up in weight mm. and, and retain their power.
0: Yeah, he looks small and super fly. He,
1: he looks small and he looks soft.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's reached his limit, it looks like. Definitely
1: um, did and was badly, badly punished for it.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Moving on to October, yeah. Um, Three junior middleweight title fights that uh, two of them were pretty good. Two of them were pretty good. Well, one was really good, and one was a shocker, uh, an interesting fight. But um, uh, Heard versus Trout was was a much better fight than I had anticipated. Um, Trout, I think, stood in a little more um herd proved that he's he's a legit champion and uh was able to get a uh, trout out in the late rounds great fight you know people don't talk about it as one of the fights of the year but i definitely think it was it was high caliber and it was exciting as hell herds herds like a vulnerable type of guy but an yep. exciting type of a fighter
1: yeah memorable fight
0: and then charlo lubin uh, this is where you know the people talk about trainer of the year Derek james has to get some credit. Um Jermel Charlo was more of a uh under Ronnie Shields was definitely more of a, a boxer type uh, not a guy who was finishing people. Um and uh he certainly finished uh, Erickson Lubin in, in a fight that kind of took the air out of the arena because everyone was so hyped and, and anticipating a, a really great fight. And uh you know, Lubin just ate that right hand, and that was it.
1: <laughs> no one of the one of the knockouts
0: of, of the years, yeah, of the
1: year for sure.
0: Yeah, great fight. And Lara uh, Gaucher, I am not really going to say too much about because not one. much to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Joshua Tackham notable in that it it was Joshua versus Tackham, and it still drew seventy thousand people yeah. in Britain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you see something a little worrying in that fight, though, with Joshua coming in a few pounds heavier? Very much, so. you know, a little tentative, uh, not his best performance. Yeah, stamina. If you if you're
1: a manager for any upcoming heavyweight or established heavyweight, the Achilles heel, no question, because I don't think Joshua is lazy in his training. Right. He just is too big to be able to just move around without just getting tired. <laughs>
0: Gas is easy. You think uh, Vladimir Klitschko watched that fight and said,
1: Shit, I should have taken that rematch. <laughs> oh imagine the money he said no to. But, but yeah. I think I think Joshua is a vulnerable guy, but there are some fighters that it makes them even more exciting. Because you're you're just aware he has he is fighting to win, he's fighting to knock people out, and, and given you know, that there's a kind of George Foreman um you know, rumble in the jungle quality to him gassing. Uh, if you're able to sustain the, the, the survive the storm, uh, this guy's very, very vulnerable.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. On to November, what 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 could have been? Um, as we were talking about, uh, Wilder Ortiz would have been a great fight in, in November, or at least a highly anticipated matchup. Fortunately, Ortiz uh, apparently has some blood pressure problems that he didn't uh, want to talk to uh, uh Vada about. He's but, self-conscious. Uh, and we got a great rematch that everyone was anticipating uh highly uh with uh Berman Stevern and, and Wilder and, and Don King railing on at the uh at the press conference about how uh Alabama was the most racist state in the Union and <laughs> this and that. Boy, I really miss Don King and uh, his fighters uh, being unjustly rated, number one, boy.
1: It's funny, when, when Obama is you know, capturing the imagination of the country, there is no bigger cheerleader than Don King. And as soon as Trump is on his way to becoming <laughs> president-elect, there's no issue of him making that transition whatsoever. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, King, God, I mean... No, and absolutely horrible fight, and it was just as horrible watching King in the front row <laughs> waving his his American flag at it. So yeah,
0: <laughs> well, I guess you know the positive that came out of that was Deontay Wilder certainly got a highlight reel knockout and created some momentum uh, for the for the Joshua fight. And as we stated earlier, uh, you know you've got the heavyweight final four coming into yes, coming do. into view, and should be exciting for next year, December. <clears throat> Interesting fight that a lot of people never thought we'd see happen, Lomachenko and, and Um You know, one of those things where on paper you're seeing a guy who's older and smaller and moving up in weight, but you just believe in his ability so much that you're thinking it's got to be at least, you know, a competitive fight at, at, at a certain point. And uh, beyond the first round, it really wasn't
1: really wasn't. Uh, I was very surprised by how many writers picked Rigo. Um, When I was asked about this, I said, I want Rigo to win, (laughs) but it certainly is Lomachenko's fight to lose, given those advantages. What I didn't expect to see was the bigger man be so much more so vastly skilled. I I saw him expose Rigo to no safe place to hide, um, never having seen the tricks that he had in his bag, um, and the speed, you know, right. just, just Lomachenko seemed to dominate in every conceivable area. And when Rigo was confronted with adversity, he looked for a way to get out of the fight. Yeah, and, and so No No Maschenko uh, <laughs> emerged for the fourth time in a row, which not, nobody I've ever spoken with has heard of somebody who's accomplished that. I mean,
0: four straight uh, world-class fighters quit on their stool. Yeah, that's quite yeah. an accomplishment.
1: No, he's a, he's a dazzling talent. And, and I also give him full credit that after the victory, the first thing he said was, this is a, a king in his division, but his division is two divisions below me. And the only reason I'm fighting him is because he called me out on social media. I'm not going to be called out on social media without doing something about it.
0: <laughs> and I love that attitude. Yeah, no doubt, and uh yeah, and and listen, credit to Lomachenko, too, for saying before the fight, you know, I mean, in an interview he did with Teddy Atlas, he was just like, you know, Teddy was like, well, this worries me, but Lomachenko's like, listen, he's small and he's old, you know, why do I need this fight, and it turned out he was exactly right, but a little sad for Rigo, you know, Rigo just has had such a hard luck career, you know, I mean, brilliantly talented and... uh you know coming off the 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 win a few years ago over Donaire, you were thinking the sky was the limit for him, yeah. and uh just things have not worked out
1: no and and at the same time um you know I say this to somebody who's written a book about him um I'm very biased in his favor, and yet at least half of of the negative stuff that's happened to him in his career he's entirely responsible for, mm. including. Um, he had an opportunity to fight Lomachenko last year for more money than he made fighting him this ugh, year ugh. at 126 pounds. <laughs> so him and his team are responsible. They weren't forced into this position. There was no gun to their head. Um, they basically had a lot of hubris. Um, you know, and everybody who dealt with them professionally said they were the worst people to deal with. So I I wish. You know, more had been done in his career, but there was a lot of self-sabotage as much as there were, you know, them being blackballed by the likes of Dan Rayfield, I think, starting a wave of critical opinion, wildly inconsistent with his view of somebody like Floyd Mayweather, that Rigo was an incredibly boring fighter and Mayweather was a thrilling tactician. <laughs> um, I don't understand how those two can be at Edom, but... Um, You know, Rigo Rigo is just one of those odd odd cases in boxing. Uh, Super skilled, but boy, um, whatever dismissals there were of Rigo, it's fascinating to me that Lomachenko almost immediately on the strength of this victory became a near consensus, pound for pound, top guy, according to ESPN, and I think there are 14 or 15 writers. So they definitely saw enough not just in the victory on paper, but in the performance that he put on, and and I think Rigo was very quickly, uh, regardless of this quote unquote hand injury, a contusion, uh, or in layman's speak a bruise, on his <laughs> hand, um, he was going to get knocked out in that fight. Yeah, Lomachenko was coming on, and um, you know the writers who were there, just what they saw is that Lomachenko pretty clearly the gulf between him and the next best fighter in the world is is pretty wide, and and I don't think I've ever seen it more wide since the days of Roy Jones Jr.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. It's the last fight of note, uh, big fight, I would say, even though it, it wasn't really considered as big a fight as it could have been going in. Cotto, uh against Saddam Ali, um, you know, no one gave Saddam Ali a chance in that fight. Everyone said this was a garbage fight, it was a little disappointing, Wish Koto could have got a bigger name. And then what happens is Saddam Ali comes in, fights probably his best fight, and Kodo looking just really like he had one foot out the door.
1: <laughs> he really did. A pointless fight as far as what would it accomplish if he won. Uh, I, I hated it on paper. Right. I think most people did. And, uh, yeah, he, he looked
0: old and not all that motivated. So – and. Very little punch resistance. He's yeah. lucky he didn't get knocked out.
1: He is very lucky he didn't get knocked out. And, and you know, uh, Cotto, great career, Hall of Fame career. Absolutely. But we measure him to Tito, none of the excitement. To everybody who's not named Jim Lampley. Uh, <laughs> there's, uh, you know, Cotto, Cotto fought a lot of big names, but but you look at him next to Tito, Tito still... I think is going to have people cheering the moment he walks anywhere in New York, let alone Puerto Rico. I don't think that's the impact that Cotto's career has, but, and part of that's the way he was outside the outside the ring as well, the reserve. Um, but uh, great career, Hall of Fame career,
0: but next to Tito, pretty clear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard, you know, uh, people being a little too negative, I think, in saying, you know, he was like, you know, the, the, the best B-side of his generation, you know? <laughs>
1: That's a little harsh, but some great, some, you know, some great, very, very memorable fights. But, I
0: mean, how many of them did he look like a great fighter? I don't know. Yeah, I think with Cotto, especially following Trinidad and having the following that he had in, in New York with the with the Puerto Rican fan base that just is so hungry for great fighters oh, yeah. and uh, and so ready for them. And you know, in fights where you were hoping you'd see greatness, you saw very good. You saw good. grit, but not not quite great. Um, but again, yeah, great career should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, four division champ, although it's a little cheap in nowadays. Yeah. But, uh, but still, just a, a great fighter, great fighter. And the
1: and, and 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 there's a little asterisk there with what happened with Margarito shouldn't be discounted. He was cheated of possibly a career that he wasn't allowed to have as a result of that. And yeah, it's
0: one of those things we'll never know whether 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 uh, whether Margarito uh, was 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 cheating for the Cotto fight, and and you know I've I've you know heard reported from people who were at the hearing uh, following the Margarito Mosley fight that it wasn't plaster Paris. It was just wet gauze that it, you know, people made a bigger deal of it than it was. But uh, bottom line was Cotto took an absolute beating oh. in that fight and was probably never the same after that.
1: And, and came back and fought him and won.
0: Right, you right, know. right. He did get his revenge and that Amazing. was a great night at the garden. Unbelievable <laughs> night in the garden.
1: I don't know that I've ever on American soil heard a crowd close to the kind of electricity that was there that
0: night yeah absolutely great great night at the garden yeah i guess uh we'll 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 conclude this uh because we're running a little long on time here uh we'll conclude this maybe we'll go with uh the the big stories heading into 2018 on a a different podcast but uh, um to me the world boxing super series is uh I would love to see it be the wave of the future. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that it's got big money backing it. Um, I like the fact that, you know, you have a... I mean, good TV, people love to see competition. Mm-hmm. And they love to see a winner crowned, a champion crowned at the end. And um, the, the World Boxing Super Series seems to have taken what the Super 6 started and improved upon it. Yeah. Um, that It's not a round robin, it's just a straight bracketed tourney. You get the best the best fighters, at least you can corral together. Um, and, uh, and you come out with the best fighter in the division at the end. And, um, you know, so far, so good with this. I mean, pretty, I mean, there have been a couple clunkers with the fights. But as we get to the semifinals, I think everyone's, you know, great anticipation in early 2018 for all four fights. I'd love to see ESPN or a major network adopt this and
1: push it absolutely because you know, it you're absolutely right i mean it's just moving boxing into uh, a sort of league format which is exactly what it needs yes you know we we need to streamline some issues that are good for some people in boxing and bad for the sport right right you've got too many titles too yes. many weight classes and these are really simple things to fix absolutely the, absolutely and uh, and something like this is is just a great start. It's a step in the right direction. So I, I love it. I hope it gets more publicity. The Super 6 was a wonderful tournament. It just wasn't very prominently featured in the United States. So let's hope we can see some corrections there. Um, but it, it it's very promising,
0: yeah, I mean I, like I said, I, you know I, I like I love the structure of it. I love the idea of it, I love the end product of it, and the fact that the networks here in the us have passed on it, especially HBO. I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, the PBC and top rank, you know the two most prominent rosters in the sport have left. they've pulled out of town. they're not coming back. Yep. you know you've got a handful of fighters at middleweight, great. Um, you've got Superfly, which is pretty much played out after this one. You know, you've got a bunch of junior lightweights who, you know, who are they going to fight? I mean, Lomachenko's the man, you know? I mean, no one's really interested in them fighting each other. So why not adopt this, you know? I mean, it's it's a great idea, it's a great tourney, and it's great TV. You get to see, you know, uh, the, the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and the finals, you build that anticipation. That's what... Televised boxing's all about it. said, I've been told HBO likes to have that narrative: what happens next, you know, the story. You crown a champion, and you know, there's of course there's going to be other fighters out there right. to defend the title against. So
1: let's uh, let's shorten the fight game by an episode per season, <laughs> so they have the budget because I know that's the big issue.
0: <laughs> Word to HBO. All right. Well, well, Brandon, really appreciate you taking the time My to uh, to review 2017. And uh, that's all we have for the uh, Boxing Esquire podcast for 2017. Here's, uh, here's to uh, everyone's health and happiness in uh, 2018. See you later. And that is the final Boxing Esquire podcast of 2017. I'd really like to thank Bryn Jonathan Butler for stopping by and, and being a guest on the podcast great writer, Um, you can check out his domino diaries, uh, his memoirs of his adventures in Cuba, an amazing book. He's got another book coming out on the sport of chess, which is going to be equally as interesting. Um, You can check out this podcast on SoundCloud, on BoxingESQ.com, my blog site, or iTunes, uh, and Stitcher as well. So if you'd like to leave a comment there or a rating i would greatly appreciate it and uh, happy new year to everyone enjoy your 2018